Good morning, friends, and welcome to another new episode of the Fight Club podcast. Uh, today, we have with us a very special guest, uh, Alvar Damain from the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Uh, Financial Independence Europe uh, has just reached a milestone and they've just crossed 100 episodes. Uh, and Alvar has been one of the main three co founders, I should say, for the podcast. It's one of the uh, one of the best podcasts that's available in the market, and and I think one of the only few that are available, or the first one I would say, uh, for financial independence Europe, and that was one of the podcasts which I started listening to, uh, and really impressed with the work that the guys are doing and the team that's doing. Uh, I'll, I'll let Alor explain his journey, uh, but Alor, welcome aboard and uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me and for an amazing introduction. Uh, Alor, do you want to give uh, a background to the audience about uh, you know, your own journey, uh, about your team and a broader sense of the, uh, you know, the Financial Independence Europe, the podcast and the blog that you guys have? Absolutely. So we are a three host strong team. There are a couple of people also around helping out with the whole organization, but pretty much um, end 2018, November, I was sitting in a room in the Netherlands and just kind of thinking, okay, I would really love to start a podcast. There's just nothing out there at this very moment. And at that point, I went online on Facebook on uh, the Fireherb EU group, actually, which is an amazing group to check out if you want any, to learn anything about financial independence Europe. And um, just wrote in there, guys, who wants to start a podcast? And Matthias, my co-host, ended up replying to that. Um, it's like, okay, sure, let's go and chat. Over Facebook, overnight, we decided, let's go start a podcast together. Um, we recorded a couple of podcast episodes, got it rolling. Um, and in between the time, I had actually moved over to Edinburgh in Scotland. And at a fine meetup over here, I met Arminta, who decided, hey, I like this. Let's join in as well. And now the rest is history. We all joined in together. And since then, as you said, recorded over 100 episodes, interviewed so many great minds and people from all around the continent with different strategies, ideas in different phases. Um, and yeah, that's really the principle of the podcast, getting the stories together, getting um, the information out there for, you know, it's pretty much what I would want to listen to myself. That's the whole point behind it. Um, and yeah, if you talk about my own journey, uh, I would say four-ish years ago. So yeah, well, it's already been three or four years ago. I was in New Zealand and at that point I started to listen to the Matt Feintist podcast, which I really enjoyed, the original Financial Independence podcast. I'm sure you've listened to it yourself as well, Nikun. Um, and started to listening to his story, got inspired, uh, found Mr. Money Moustache, uh, The Frugal Woods, which was also an amazing book to listen to. Actually started watching Dave Ramsey, which might be slightly controversial from a fire perspective, but his content at the time was interesting to listen to. And yeah, through there I got inspired and there really started to work on my own journey because at that point I was traveling around, traveling on an extremely tight budget, um, didn't have a fixed job, uh, did some contracting gigs in between, and that's how I found my life. Uh, I was still traveling at that point. But from there, I just got inspired. I was like, okay, I can do this as well. I can actually earn myself at that time, and find number was three, and okay, earn the cash, stop working, and just move to Thailand and leave it at that. That's what I thought at the time. Um, and yeah, I just started uh, from there, and over time, learned more and more. Um, moved into, after traveling, moved into a permanent role, rented a nice apartment, which I never imagined myself doing because I'm a cheap ass. Um, as in, 
I used to live in a student room on like 250 euros a month in the Netherlands, which, and another 100 euro for extra expenses, 350 in total, which most people would uh, consider ludicrously in terms of living expenses. And from there, really also over the last years, learned how to spend more to actually enjoy money and not focus on solely, okay, I need to save as much as possible. So my fight journey has really been, okay, I've learned to spend again. I've learned to save as efficiently as possible as an employee while having a couple of own businesses on the side. And right now, um, I don't have a fixed fine number anymore. It used to be three, 400K in a paid off house, but I've kind of pivoted from that to like, okay, I just generally don't know what the future is going to bring in terms of living cost. I still think um, you know, somewhere around the three, four, 500K mark is going to be it um, for me to happily live. And I'm not aiming to stop working, but I'm aiming for optionality and having options and being able to decide, okay, I am done with working. I am going to decide to do something else. That's brilliant. And I think for the audience, I think who are listening for the first time and kind of new to the financial independence and kind of what targets, we will go into that content as well in terms of what the number should look like. And again, there are different schools of thoughts and and, and hopefully we'll cover that as well. So thanks, Alvar. I think brilliant uh, and I think the, the first question which I had in my mind was that I think Europe is made up of so many countries. And I think that is one of the kind of the vision that you guys had as well to bring all the FI enthusiasts uh, from across Europe together on, under one umbrella and under one podcast that you guys have. And I think you all three belong to different countries as well. So is that still uh, the plan or like what, 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 is, what is the thinking behind that? And is that still there? Absolutely. And you're right. It's the, we've got 44 countries in Europe and every country has its own little taxation rules, its own kind of ways of working. And, you know, we can actually utilize all those together because it's not because I am Dutch and living in the UK doesn't mean I cannot invest in a Portuguese bank or I cannot move to Portugal and make use of the actual tax regime over there and pay no firm income tax. Things like that. Um, that's really, that's absolutely the school of thought. We try to follow uh, in the podcast, but things have uh, evolved over time. We went from basic, okay, five case studies really to also going to far more in-depth strategies of people opening up businesses in Estonia, um, traveling all around Europe, but keeping that digital presence over there so they could minimize taxes. We've, um, I co-host Armented did an amazing interview with somebody who actually moved over to Bulgaria to only pay 10% in income tax uh, and I was like, okay, wow, that's just nuts. Coming up with those things, it's using different components of the European system to your advantage to get to the fight dream. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And I think I hope we'll cover a few of those in our uh, kind of topics that we will be going through as well. Okay. So, so the, the agenda for today's kind of podcast and why, and it was an interesting conversation that I had with Alvar, uh, I think a couple of weeks ago around uh, because the financial independence Europe have just crossed a hundred episode mark. Uh, I requested Alvar to do a, kind of a brief summary of his top episodes. Yeah. So the agenda for today's episode is to uh, kind of cover the top learnings and uh, uh, because we just said that, you know, financial independence Europe, uh, they reached a milestone of hundred episodes. So when Alvaro and I were having a conversation, we kind of discussed that, you know, why don't we do a kind of a learning session uh, for Financial Independence Europe from all the 100 episodes and where Alvaro can choose his top. 
uh, episodes and i think it's kind of choosing which baby is the best baby uh, which is so so difficult but i think i'm really grateful to you that you did pick up you know few of your top episodes uh, from your 100 uh, episodes uh, where you'll be sharing your learnings uh, as well and and you know for the listeners we'll try to kind of this could be a really good uh, crash course into financial independence so we will start with the basics uh, but i think some of these elements could be really important uh, if you have just started in your journey as well so alvar uh, over to you and uh, yeah uh, which is the first episode that you want to talk about nipun thank you so much for asking that question because i think in the beginning you know that's where it's about the what and why of i why are we bothering doing this and what is it so to start with the very beginning financial independence a lot of people consider that on the following lines if you manage to save more than 25% of your annual expenses so let's say there are 10k a year and you save yourself 25000 uh sorry let's do that again um so let's for example say your annual expenses are 10000 a year if you save yourself 250000 in a portfolio you should be able based on the 4% withdrawal rule Uh, to withdraw 4% every single year while uh, without touching your principal so imagine you know you save yourself 250k and you can forever ever pay your living expenses out of that going forward you're financially independent um there's a study actually that pretty much tried to prove this statistically called the trinity study from years and years back in the US where they looked at okay what would happen in many many different scenarios if i got a portfolio like 250k I would draw 10k a year from it and um goes through a crash a big recession and so forth and in pretty much every circumstance the portfolio managed to stand you know and weather the storm and that's where it's about having a portfolio that's truly resilient enough to get through that most people would invest those in Vanguard funds for example VWRL VTI VXUS or whatever is similar this covers the entire world market has an extremely low expense ratio so you keep your costs as low as possible and pretty much go for that because within the financial independence movement we don't believe we're smarter than all these stock pickers um and you know we simply stick to okay we agree that the economy over time is going to grow become more efficient so i should be able to get returns on a worldwide portfolio not picking any company country or currency but worldwide diversification and gambling on the world as a whole so letting it grow letting it run picking a very cheap fund to invest in because why well the only thing we can pretty much control is the cost component of uh, those returns or of the actual fund so because if we're looking at kind of like the returns over the last years actually over the last hundreds of years the average is you know like 7% for most of the ETFs um like for example VWRL if you think about it, okay i can make myself 7% a year but and out of that i obviously have to take inflation 2% on average per country i have to take my expenses some of expense ratio for the funds themselves taxes and so forth and so forth now you just got to make sure there's enough left on that and many investors claim they can make crazy returns good for them i don't believe in that i stick to um simple investing and living at that and i'm, I'm sure there are um, investors out there like warren buffett and i've interviewed people like them um Who make who manage to make superior returns against the market but i think that's not worth my time anymore to simply stick to an etf invest monthly keep that going and then you're good so that's just kind of like the the what the mechanics of financial independence but i think the more in, important question is the why 
because we can do anything in life if you, you know, put your will against it. But if you cannot answer your why, the reason behind it, that's where it's about. So if I ask myself, what is the reason why I want to do this? Well, pretty much I don't want to be controlled. I want to be able to make my own choices and make steps towards the future I want to determine and not have a boss or any organization control me on that. And that's why I think it's very important also for your listeners and people to determine, okay, what is my why for financial independence? Sit down with your spouse, partner, whatever, have a conversation. Um, what would I like to accomplish? Let's say right now out of the blue, I give you a million. What would you do with it? Um, you know, do you have hobbies already? Do you want to start a business? Do you want to spend more time at home? Many reasons I've spoken to hundreds of people who have become financially independent who are on the journey and they have all different whys. There's no wrong and right. It's a personal question only you can answer yourself. And I really think, uh, you know, have a conversation, obviously listen to our original episode always helps out. But yeah, it's just, there is no specific set of questions I could give anybody to answer that why. It's just an honest conversation with yourself. We you ask yourself, okay, what do I want? Does that make sense, Nipun? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I think uh, like in our previous discussions as well, I really enjoyed those discussions around the whys and having the right mindset. And I think it's because you just covered it really well that you know you shouldn't be investing in such like in, in those risk-driven assets or whatever products which are being sold to you because you have to have that peace of mind at the end. You're tr- like the world is financially independent. And if you are kind of so much tied into the day-to-day news and what's happening in the market, like today, like nowadays, I, I think that that that's not the solution that you were going after. So you're kind of back being a trader and not financially independent person. What do you think? Um, absolutely. And I will admit straight away, I've done my fair share of trading, of trying yeah. different investment schemes to see like, oh, let's try and earn some cash out of this. Definitely tried it. And let's be honest, it has worked out in some occasions and some it also hasn't. Complete went bankrupt. Um, I saw, I invested in things I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Amazing example, peer-to-peer lending. We'll not go down that rabbit hole too much at this point, but um, yeah, it, it's one of those things, you know, I'm happy trying, but in the end, what has proven to work are um, simply the Vanguard-alike funds, and I think sticking to those. You also, you save yourself a lot of head because I've spent countless hours looking over companies, going through balance statements, trying to understand them um, and investing in them. In the end, it's pretty much me saying I am smarter than all these experts, than the market, and I can do, do better. I'm not. Maybe some people in this world are, but not me. And I think that, that reminds me, I had this conversation with my friend over, like I think last two days, like two days ago. And uh, he, he was saying that, you know, it's, it's like most of the people are kind of thinking of just making that quick buck uh, and then not thinking in the long term. And uh, I, I think that that's why people get caught uh, of, you know, there's so many things that are being sold online. Uh, and I think we always think that we can beat the market. We are always intelligent, uh, but it's, it's not. As, as you said, you know, people are using that high fiber broadband and, uh, you know, they have team of 100 traders sitting day and night just thinking about how to make more money. And we, we can't beat that. And that's not the purpose that we should be after, right? Exactly. And um, we should control what we can control. So obviously we earlier spoke about actual funds you pick, the brokerage company you go for, uh, the country where you live, the cost you're paying. Now, those are the components you can control from like a financial strategic perspective. Um, then you've got the far harder part, your own mindset. You sticking to the journey and investing over and over again, building the habit. 
having a monthly direct debit running, going straight to whatever brokerage account you're using. In my case, that's the Giro, and since a week trading to 12, um, having a deposit going straight in there, invest, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Um, and where possible, obviously picking the right funds that work with your country and having a very good think uh, about it. If you need to obviously chat to a financial advisor and make sure they vet your choices because in the end, if you're going to throw all your money into a fund and you don't truly understand it or you don't feel comfortable with it, like then the whole uh, investment approach is pointless. If you're not confident and you cannot stick to it, you might as well just not do it. So that's why I think, I mean, I love self-studying. I think many people in this community do the same. They're DIY investors and they don't need a financial advisor, but what they do need is spend a bit of time going down the rabbit hole and really reading into the details and going along all the blocks, listening to your own podcast, for example, people and really getting you know, getting the basics first and then starting. And I think I picked up those two words. I think you talk, you, you used the word reputation, right? I think that is the key uh, of, of being in that financial independence journey because, and, and th this is coming from me personally in terms of what I realized uh, was that it, it gets very boring. I think, kind of doing stock trading it's very interesting because you run with that uh, kind of emotions or daily emotions of going up down the wins the losses and i think it's like sticking to one consistent thing or let's say multiple things but doing that repeatedly gets boring and then that could be one of the reasons why people do not succeed is that they try to do too many things and then the, you know stock trading is one of them uh, what do you think about reputation what's your view on reputation and the monotonous kind of side of sticking to one thing. Let me give you an example of my own life. How do I invest and how have I got it running? I've, I'm in a fortunate position of living in the UK and being able to open a direct account with uh, Vanguard. But in my case, it's pretty simple. Direct debit every month pulls off, um, you know, whatever uh, amount I've set. Right now it's sitting at 1300 a month, which automatically gets transferred over to my Vanguard account and gets invested in, um, you know, in this case, in my case, it's VWRL and VWCE as sticker symbols, but it gets invested in those funds and that just keeps running. Additionally to that, I've got my pension uh, payment through my work, which also just gets taken straight off my paycheck um, and I set it to a fixed amount and it just keeps running. Unfortunately, it's invested in a less uh, good fund than necessarily the Vanguard ones, but it's still okay-ish um, and it just keeps running. Build the systems um, so you don't have to touch it yourself anymore. Like, I don't look at that. I mean, I look at it once a month when I do my monthly, like, checkup on network and budgeting. But beyond that, I don't care. It keeps running, and I'll look at it in, now, say, 20, 30 years, whenever I need it. Then I'll look at it at that point. But for now, I'll keep it running, and I'll audit it, you know, say, every three to six months, just to make sure nothing is really going wrong and I need to take any action. Because there will always be something in terms of admin or um, a little tax item your broker company makes you fill in. Now, that's one thing, but I am not touching my investments. Uh, the only thing I am doing is I do think, um, you know, many people listening to this podcast, I assume, you know, they've got a good understanding of fine. And I try to keep my cost basis as low as possible. And that's actually because I mentioned earlier, I switched brokers. So this uh, week, I actually switched party from the Jiro over to Trading212. Why? Because the Jiro starts a party because I wasn't able to process a form that's very important. I hope I'm saying it correctly. It's a W8 form for the US, which allows you to get a portion of the dividend tax you pay uh, to them back on um, every year. And that really eats into your returns if you don't do it. Yes, by default, tax is 30%. So 
where possible, you want to get around that. So I opened a UK-based uh, trading to 12 accounts to be able to do that again. Um, and in that way, have a larger component of my dividends remaining and be able to reinvest those. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Simple, straightforward, set up a system, automate it, and don't look at it anymore. That's brilliant. Because the, the brilliant things, the good things are actually boring. And that's why people kind of not do those uh, okay, so I think that was one of your episodes, and I, I'm assuming that you know a lot of viewers would have or audience uh, would have loved that episode as well. So let's go to the next one. Uh, which one do you want to pick as the next one? Well, I think one people are going to love dividend growth investing. Great, yeah. Let's so talk about that. that's very like I've explained. I like doing many things in terms of like trying. Oh, let's give this a shot. Give that a shot. Um, Dividend crowd investing has been one of the things I've been sticking to for the longest, as in over a decade, uh, until I sold my entire portfolio uh, a couple uh, months ago. But let's first start with what it actually is. So dividend crowd investing comes down to you investing in companies that pay out a dividend that's growing on an annual basis and keep um, repeating that. Oh, sorry, that was a bit of background noise. Let's do that again. Um, so dividend growth investing comes down to you investing in companies that pay out an annual dividend that's increasing and reinvesting that yourself again and again. So let's com come up with an example. AT&T in the US, one of the kind of like um, pillars of dividend growth investing. They've been increasing their dividend and paying it out for like decades. They're part of a, a very select club called the Dividend Aristocrats, which um, have been paying out for ages and increasing at the same time. So let's for a second say you invest 100 um, whatever your currency is in AT&T. They pay out roughly like a 6% dividend yield at this point. So they give you six of whatever your currency every year. Again and again, they tend to pay every quarter. Um, what you're getting then is, you know, you take your dividend, you reinvest it, but the next time, um, you know, you actually get a dividend paid out. You get a dividend over the dividend you also already reinvested on top of your initial principal. So this will compound over and over again and get stronger over time. This is not an investment strategy that is a quick buck to make. You really need to stick to, um, to it. As I said myself, I've been over for it for a decade. Um, and then at some point, you get amazing re uh, yields on the cost basis you initially put in. So an example of 18 too, you know, imagine the first year you get 106. The next year it's 112 something and so forth and so forth. That will compound over time. Um, but then obviously, I think most people would say straight away, well, but throwing all your eggs into one company, is that really the wisest? Absolutely not. So that's where portfolio management comes in. For most investors uh, with dividend portfolios, you're looking at like 50 to 20 companies they're investing in, and they keep those for the long run. Those are really solid companies. Um, people like to stick, for example, to like value investing-based investment approach, just picking the AT&Ts, the Vodafones, the... I mean, oil might be a bit less of a good example lately, but many people have chosen for those, for the shells, for the BPs of this world. Uh, utility companies, very stable companies that pay out dividends for the foreseeable future. Grocers, I think, will are still a good example right now. One of my long-haul favorites was Ahold in the Netherlands and in the US, which was a very favorable one um, for me and just investing in those. So I, if we go back actually a decade when I started with this, um, during, um, I mean, I started for the first time really during like the aftermath of the 08 crisis. Companies were extremely cheap and I thought, let's pick some up. So over the last decade, I've been buying companies like 
um, as I men mentioned, Shell, BP, AT&T, and so forth, Vodafone, um, and bought them up, uh, and over time invested more in them, reinvested their dividends, and I've had an amazing run with that um, over the last decade. And the actual returns, the yields I was getting um, after you know what I put in in like 2009 were nuts. I was getting a dividend yield uh, equal to the cost I paid for the share uh, when I actually bought it a decade ago. And if you think about that, I think we have an amazing bull market. You will probably not be able to repeat the same thing. But yeah, that's what happened to me. And I thought, okay, why do I do this? What are the advantages against just going for an ETF? Well, the whole point is, if you have an ETF, like say VDLBRL, it pays out a 2% dividend each year, but you still got to sell off shares every single year to make sure you can live with it. With an actual dividend portfolio, it pays out the cash. You don't sell shares. You pocket the cash, you spend it, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It's protected against inflation because most of these companies you pick because they actually increase that dividend. They throw another 5 to 10% on average on top of it every year. That's the whole point. Um, it's inflation protected from that perspective. You don't have to sell the share. Your share count stays equal and you get your living expenses out of it. And I think that's also kind of an argument against the whole just go solely ETF. If everybody does one thing and you do the same and just follow the crowd, there are risks involved with that. And again, I'm a very big fan of just sticking to ETFs, but I think it's foolish to just go for one single thing and the same thing as everybody is doing. So diversification in your investment approaches, that's where that came in. So now obviously everybody will be asking, well, you know, why did you sell off your entire portfolio if you say it's so amazing that diversification mattered? In my case, the capital appreciation I got was just so massive. Um, uh, yeah, I'm also in the process of buying a house, so that was mainly the reasoning behind it. Yeah, it was time to sell for me at that point, but if that hadn't happened, I had happily stuck to that for the next decades. Um, yeah, and so pretty much for anybody who wants to learn more about it, there are a couple of YouTube channels uh, I'm sure Nipun could add to the show notes. I'll share it with him uh, and just literally Googling dividend growth investing, and you'll get many great articles out there. So how does that sound? But that's great. And then thanks for sharing. I think one theme that came out is the compounding element of financial independence. And I think we are taught about compounding in our schools as well. Uh, and we, we always talk about that, but we never use it for ourselves. And I think that's where the key element of financial independence come in. Leave the money, let it compound. It's the, you know, the two millimeter rule that Tony Robbins talks about, right? You don't see that two millimeter right now, but it gets kind of getting wider, wider as you go a couple of years from now. And it's because it's a journey. Eventually you'll get to a really good gain uh, because of the compounding effect uh, uh, that you cannot see right now. If you look at it, six months perspective, you know, doesn't make any sense. But from 15, 20 years perspective, it, it means a massive growth to your portfolio. Absolutely. And human beings are just, including myself, extremely bad at forecasting. What is my portfolio going to do? If I got 50K right now, how will it look like in 30 years? I think if you ask that question, now 50K compounding about 7% a year, what will it be? I'm very sure most people would give a completely uh, wrong answer. No, we just got to accept we are human beings. We've got limits. And that's where automation, diversification, keeping it simple come in. So yeah, I absolutely agree. That's brilliant. Okay, so let's go on to the third or fourth one of your choice. Which one do you want to pick, Alvar? Which one, which child is your third or fourth favorite? 
<laughs> so one of my absolute favorites uh, yeah. is side hustling. And the episode I would pick in this case um, is actually uh, one I did with the Irish Fire podcast, uh, which you know the type was titled Investing and Money Saving Tips uh, with Alvar Damon uh, and... Yeah, Michael spelled my last name in a very funny way, but I know uh, his podcast is also one very worth checking out, the Irish Fire podcast. I know you've met Michael yourself as well, Nippon, great guy. Great guy, yeah, I know him. He lives in Limerick, uh, but I've met mm. him a couple of times in Dublin. He's a brilliant guy. Runs a meetup himself, so anybody in Ireland, go... <laughs> anybody, <laughs> anybody in Ireland, go and check him out. But he interviewed me on pretty much like active investing, side hustling all the ways I'm utilizing to pretty much get income into my life and I've used in the past, which are practical and I think uh, can be of inspiration for many. Obviously that interview was like 30 minutes, so I'll keep it a bit shorter in this time. And what I pretty much want anybody to do who's listening to this is ask yourself, how are you earning active income? Is it just your job or are there things you're forgetting about? Ask yourself, which components in my life are doing that to try to like identify kind of like hidden income components you could Utilize. So let's take myself as an example. Uh, right now, what have I got? I've got a podcast which generates, it's not really a business, it generates some cash, yay, that's some income. I've got my main job, which is my main source of income. I've got a number of side hustles running like online in terms of web shops, websites, things I've invested in in the past, um, which are all uh, giving me cash flow at this very moment. I've invested in peer to peer lending, um, companies like Mintos or Ratesetter. Uh, which are you know right now the returns are actually still relatively okay. Um, those are giving me active income. I've got my uh, well, I used to have my different growth portfolio, which kept paying out cash every single month, and I kept reinvesting. I had my uh, ETF portfolio, which obviously also uh, actually generates income, but is being reinvested on the spot. So those are kind of like the investment things I had running, and then. Let's go uh, wild and crazy. So if we think just about daily life, things I've done over the past, for example, uh, a lot are actually like uh, interviews by companies that uh, I'm sure they are in Ireland as well in, in most European countries. There are websites like, for example, Profilic, where you can go out and say, hey, I can uh, do X, Y, Z. Please interview me. Expert interviews, they're called. So people call you up and interview you for, say, an hour. They pay you 60, 70 euro for that. It's very easy money. You can actually have a chat about something interesting. So we got that one and then actually give me one second because I got a very long list of these somewhere. Let me stop the recording for a second. Yeah, that's okay. I can actually grab yeah. my spreadsheet. That's all right. And additionally, I think it's just very good to look at kind of like the skills you've got in life yourself. So for example, I work in IT. Um, it would be pretty easy for me to get either a contracting gig or um, just a one-off or even get another part-time job. And like, you know, looking in the industry around, sure, there will be many agencies out there that, you know, need you on a very short basis. And even I know yourself, you do contracting too. And sometimes it is just, you know, you need a bit of extra cash. You can do it in the evenings, dive in there. And one thing uh, I would also like to mention is kind of look at things, for example, um, like Deliveroo or Uber Eats, which I know are not the most fancy jobs, but they still work. And if you, for example, let's say you got a couple hours in the evening, jump on a bike, like over here in my hometown, Edinburgh, like there are so many um, people going out there and they work three, four hours. And if they work during the rush hours, they can earn upwards of 20 pounds an hour. 
it's not, you know, it's very hard work and it's not ideal always in the circumstances, but if you can pull in 60, 70 pounds, 60, 70 euro in a matter of three, four hours by cycling around and staying fit at the same time, I think that's an amazing deal. Um, and I think one last example, which I find very funny is something I did back as a student, which is actually selling books. So my uh, university back then um, used to have this yearly kind of like annual charity share uh, sale where they sold off all old books they no longer needed to charity for one to five euros each. But as we all know, academic books are not cheap. They online, I'm sure Ireland has uh, comparable websites like uh, Gumtree over here in the UK, where you can actually sell off um, things you no longer need. So what did I used to do? I went to this charity sale and bought a, a whole load of books uh, that you know, for one to five euro, it was still selling for 30 to 40 online. I walked around there with my, um, in the Netherlands, it's a website called bold.com, but um, you could pretty much look up the books. What are they selling for? I buy this, so you're okay, sell for 40, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Obviously, you gotta put in your own time, deduct shipping cost, but in that way, I picked up 30, 40 books, shipped them home, um, and then just sent them out to all the people interested in buying them. Um, I repeated that for a number of years, and now it's not an, a massive amount. I was actually earning on it in the end, but every time, I say 500 to 1,000, I don't remember the exact amounts anymore. Excuse me. Um, so that amount is just a very easy, quick uh, book to make. And I'm sure it's pretty much arbitrage. You in your own life will be able to find similar things, either if it's, you know, you got um, this farmer living next to you which sells these amazing tomatoes, but nobody, um, you know, is, knows about it. And actually, um, let's give that as a stupid example. <laughs> so okay, let's leave that. Um, so yeah, I take principle of the story, look at your own life, look at the active inf uh, earning components you've got going, where can you diversify them? And the same keeps going, you know, every millionaire has seven streams of passive income. So try to aim for those. I'm pretty sure we all have dozens in our life. We're just not aware of them yet. I think that's brilliant. And, and I was just thinking while you were saying, there were a couple of things that I thought of. Uh, and I think people who kind of love to teach others, uh, there are a lot of tutoring or grinds as they call it over here. Uh, websites available as well and they you can you know sell and that's kind of trading your time but you know that's a separate thing but if you have spare time you can help others get ready for the examination you can choose the subject that you're really strong at and that's kind of 30 40 50 60 euros an hour which is much more than what you'll be paid at a job uh, and plus you will help some someone else as well that's one thing the other thing is kind of and you talked about flipping so uh, kind of you know, anything that you have, not flipping, but if you have stuffs in your home uh, that you don't need, just sell them, right? I, in the last, I think one week, uh, what I've done is I had a projector that I was not using and I, I sold it for hundred euros, right? That's kind of cash that was sitting in and I was not using it. So it's what, it was an old Acer projector and I just bought it, thought I'll watch some match and everything. Uh, and then we never used it. And, you know, small things like 20 bucks here and there, 20 bucks, like, you know, every month you'll see kind of 100, 200 euros worth of things that you are lying around that you can sell. Yeah. Have you ever sold anything in your home <laughs> that you don't need? Oh. Or, yeah. <laughs> so, I, it's, um, I've always been very much of a minimalist uh, myself, so there's not much to sell. But one thing I would like to also you know, say, think about it. Every um, bit of money you save extra for your portfolio, you can multiply that by, uh, you know, actually, you know, let's uh, actually, you know, let's 
let me rephrase that every bit of passive income you're able to get in, you can multiply by 25. And that's actually something you don't need to save anymore for your portfolio. So, you know, either, you know, you can save in two different ways. You either, you know, limit what you spend or you earn more. I think in, you know, you can only save as much, you know, only so much on your budget. I've already, you know, kind of like churned out everything I pretty much can. I'm living on you know, anywhere from like, you know, 700-ish pounds a month, uh, seven to 800. There is not much more I can take out. And I don't want to because I want to keep a certain quality of life. But it's easier to earn more. And now let's say I get a repetitive. I do one delivery shift a month. You know, 60, 70 times 25. There's a massive sum I no longer actually have to save. So actually, and you can even multiply that by 12 because we're talking about annual um, amounts if we talk about the portfolio in that case. So yeah, I think that's really uh, also a way to think about. And additionally, on top of that, when you actually spend, and we always think, ah, that's only euro nah you gotta add 30 to 40 percent on top of that because that's the pre-tax money you gotta earn to actually get to that point it's something i started working with um like years ago okay trying to shift my mind like that because then it very quickly changed like okay that actually ends up being pretty expensive um it's little tricks to make your mind sometimes not spent or you know think about i'm sure you've done it yourself as well you know you're going out um, and you're like, okay, let's go and grab a coffee. And I'm sure I don't know the exact coffee price in Dublin, but over here, you can pay, you know, three pounds for a coffee, four euro or whatever at uh, 20, 30% taxes on top of that. Six euro for a coffee is quickly hurting and sounds kind of ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's the same over here as well. I think putting things in perspective, you know, you kind of, if you kind of uh, don't buy something right now, you are kind of helping your future self in enjoying life more in a better way, which is kind of 25 times, as you said, to what it is right now. So I think, I mean, that's a brilliant perspective. And how I see it is, is kind of, you know, kind of it's, it's all about emotions, as you know, we were discussing as well. So uh, sometimes, you know, you have to think of being happy. That's your end product and kind of buying these small things uh, doesn't help you. And I think you, you really touch upon an important element on kind of when you were talking about the side hustles, that there is no harm in picking a side hustle because you're not comparing with other people around you, you're comparing with your future self, where you want to be. I think doing that delivery shift or being in a kind of Uber driver, Uber Eats, whatever you want to do. And I think that if that adds value to your future self, why not? You know? Exactly. And I think also one thing what I've noticed, like many people actually get to financial independence. Do they really stop working? Nah, they, they either find ways to earn money again, or even if they don't want to, just by the very nature of the people we kind of are, will earn money in some shape or fashion. So that's, yeah, that's also just good to keep that in mind. And in the end, you will always keep doing something, um, you know, that earns money and taking that in consideration, you know, you can still go for the safe bet, save all the money you got, but, you know, we all know ourselves best. And I know certainly I at some point or in some way, even if it's just something random, you know, let's say in 10 years I'm in Thailand, laying on the beach doing nothing. I will go to meetups and even if I don't want to, I'll somehow either start a business or walk into somebody who comes up with an idea that earns money. That is, it's just the very nature of kind of like the five seekers we are. Right. And I think you always want to grow, right? So you, like, I think the, the idea of uh, retiring, I think that's very much 
miscommunicated or misled or misread in a sense that you know you're not retiring you're retiring from something but obviously you'll be doing uh, something to grow yourself because that's the the human nature to to kind of grow so i think absolutely brilliant Alva. uh what's next on your list <laughs> ah you're gonna love this one yeah. worst financial mistakes well, that's brilliant i think everyone wants to hear that not the goody goody stuff but the bad stuff as well Absolutely. I am actually going to ask you the same question in a second yourself as well, asking uh, the podcast interviewer himself, because I think that's going to be funny for both of us. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with um, now one of my worst financial mistakes and also then one that's kind of stupid. I invested in a Ponzi scheme. So there was this company out here that was called Plan B for you, and it was a total scam. Um, I got introduced by it by somebody. Actually, I was Airbnb-ing my room at the time. She came over um, and was like, hey, you know, have you heard of this? And I was like, mm, sure, sounds interesting. It was literally a website that earned money by people clicking on advertisements on it and they paid you out like uh, some kind of insane return and mostly they were paying out the returns by people who reinvested the money over and over again. Um, and yeah, I thought it was amazing. Let's go and give it a shot. I threw 160 euro in there and it was working. Let it run for a couple of months. And then at some point, I just, I found some very bad news articles about him. I felt uncomfortable. I cashed everything out. And a couple of months later, the owner got arrested for fraud and the whole business just went bust. And yeah, I fell for a Ponzi scheme, which, you know, a pyramid scheme. Somebody who thinks he's financially savvy and checks things out, it happens. To be fair, I was probably 17 or 18 years old at the time, but it had happened. And I recommended it even to a couple of friends like, hey, go and check this out. Um, and that's the thing. That's how these things work. I was like, oh, that looks cool. Let's recommend it to somebody else. And that's, yeah. Yeah, got to admit that at some point and always do your research. So I would consider not my biggest financial mistake in terms of money I've lost, but one of the ones I'm most ashamed of. Okay, and that's, that's, that's not that bad. Uh, <laughs> is that the only one that you have or you have others? I believe there might be others uh, as well in terms of mistakes, or was that the only one? That, no, I would really consider that. Uh, I've, so one other thing that would be worth mentioning. Um, so when I was actually in my stock picking at times, I decided to invest in a company called Imtech, which um, went bankrupt because of fraud reasons. But yeah, I threw a very substantial sum of money into that company at a time for me being in the company went bust, so I lost Believe it at the house, like three and a half to four thousand euro by just picking a company without doing my due diligence because I thought it was cheap. Somebody recommended investing in it, and I found it on uh, a website. And I just totally based myself on that. And doing that, you know, I've learned from that right now. Uh, but it's still, yeah, just investing in one company just because somebody else say. So I think we've all, you know, walked across. Oh, this sounds like this amazing investment. Let's go for it. Yeah, not doing my due diligence and paying for it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's why because you, you need to kind of wait and not look for quick wins. Uh, that is kind of uh, for me. Uh, yeah, there have been many. <laughs> uh, the one that I remember is uh, like similar to yourself. I think the multi-level marketing, the LML, MLM model, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, it was, I think, a tourist company. Uh, like I, I forgot the name of that as well. So kind of you invite people, uh, they travel, they earn points, and it's based on recommendation. And, you know, they, the revenue stream is the new members who are coming in. 
And so I didn't find the, uh, there was lack of honesty over there. You kind of, you're, you're kind of tricking your friends to be part of that, uh, the marketing pyramid scheme. So yeah, th that was a stupid thing, but I lost, not lost, but I kind of, uh, I joined it. I think spent 300 euros or 400 as a membership fee. And uh, yeah, I thought that, no, no, that's not for me. So I kind of backed out of it. Uh, the other one, which I can remember is the yeah, stock investing, similar to yourself. Uh, and and it, it was a, it was very recent. It was last year actually. And I knew that I was on the fire journey. I shouldn't be doing it, but that was something that I thought of. We shouldn't be gambling, but I still was so much involved with that brand that it was more of an emotional, which everyone should avoid <laughs> at any cost. So there's a company called Cafe Coffee Day. That's one of the biggest coffee brands in India. And, uh, uh, you know, the share price in Indian rupees was kind of, highs were 300 rupees right that's uh, per share price and what happened the the owner of that company uh, for some reasons he, he committed suicide uh, what happened was that the stock price just tanked and that is the only biggest kind of chain and has thousands of outlets in india there's emotional connection that people had uh, you know you, you know you you go on a date on that in, in that coffee shop so you know the, the, there is an emotional attachment and i thought that you know that and that price was uh, at 80 when I bought that uh, stock of that company. And I thought, you know, 80 versus 300, yes, it has to go up. Uh, and now today it's 15 rupees from 300. It's just pennies to what uh, it was. So, you know, the, it was an emotional decision. Maybe it'll go up. So the time when I made that decision, uh, Coca-Cola or Costa were in talks of buying that company, right? So it was a kind of, I was aware, uh, but I took a risk as well. But I, I'll like say, don't do not kind of get ridden by your emotions and just make sure that, you know, you stick to that reputation, that, that kind of boring, but that's the most intelligent thing of looking at that smaller return and not looking for that giant gamble. Exactly. And one I would mention additionally as well as Bitcoin. Um, I used to be a fairly early adopter of Bitcoin. And, you know, when things were still selling for $50 cents each, um, you know, I had a number of Bitcoins and I sold them far, far before the crazy heights. Now, and actually feeling regret, like, oh, if I had just held on for another couple of months, I could have earned 100,000 euro. Well, I earned a number of thousands and I'm very happy with it because it paid for a nice holiday to visit my girlfriend back then in Florida while she was working for Disney over there. And having that chance, you know, I'm totally happy with that you know you can talk about opportunity because oh if you held on nah sometimes it's also good enough to just accept i sold at that point and yeah fair enough yeah that's great okay so let's jump on to is there any other mistake that you want to talk about or should we move on <laughs> now nah, those are enough mistakes okay for today. that's that's enough mistakes for our audience as well all right so let's pick the next one please Absolutely. So I would actually like to jump over to an episode I ran with Oliver from frugalista.de. title of the episode is The Benefits of a Frugal Lifestyle and Financial Independence. So I am very much a frugalist myself. I love just keeping minimizing costs, keeping things simple, um, and trying to you know organize my life around that. Why do I think this matters? For many people who've lived a lavish lifestyle for many, many years, spending on you know a coffee uh, every single day over here, um, going on these crazy holidays, it might not come natural, but being able to live simple and frugal can allow you to massively lower your cost basis and get to financial independence quicker. But more importantly, it keeps life simple. Um, and for myself, 
Um, it's really been about okay, how can I organize my, um, how can I organize my life in a simple way and a purposeful way, and that goes towards finances. So keeping things simple, picking one fund or two funds, automating everything. At the same time, also what I actually own. Um, I've always lived very simply, and when I arrived in the UK, literally everything I owed was in one bag. And still, as of today, I cannot make the claim anymore. I can put all my possessions in one uh, um, backpack, but probably one and a half. And having that option of just, you know, if you look around uh, our house, I mean, by now we've collected some things, but keeping things simple and keeping them for a purpose. So let me give you an example. Now, obviously, I also love tech. And when I come across a phone or like a new gadget, I'm like, oh, let's go and buy it. But a rule I've adopted is very often, you know, let's say I'm interested in a smart speaker. I've actually bought one, but that's another story. Um, before I buy it, I actually, you know, I save it and I'm going to wait for two weeks. I still want to purchase that item at that point because I think we all go down the rabbit, oh, let's go and buy that and go and buy that. And then we end up with so many crappy things and then we end up having to sell them on eBay for half the price in the end, which can still be a good thing to do at some point, but not in this in these cases. And it's about developing a mindset for yourself where you think about, okay, the, the word frugal for many people feels negative, but I don't think that's the case. I think you should translate it into your own story of, you know, what does um, simple living simple living means for you? What uh, what does it mean to spend purposefully and trying to base your life around that? And that's also where the whole mindset component comes in again. Try to nurture yourself to be as strong as possible because I'm just a human being and I love things, I hate things, but frugal is something I admire and I uh, very much enjoy. In my conversation with Oliver uh, back then in that interview, he really brought it to the extremes and in terms of he bought a tiny house and he travels all around the world and he keeps things just actually i'm not sure if that was actually true let's take that part out uh, so in my conversation with olivier we really talked about bringing things to the very extremes so you got the bloggers out there really like they move into a van they earn all their money online they pay no rent anymore no coffees all uh, cooking in-house and you know they lower the cost to like pretty much nothing they can live on a 100k portfolio a year or whatever. From having that optionality, I think that's amazing. But I think the moral of the story is looking at your own life. How can I spend purposefully? How can I actually spend on the things I care about and designing your life around it? That's what frugal means to me. I think, I think that's that's brilliant. And I think that's an exact definition. Even even I think from that perspective as well. But the, the 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 things that we kind of struggle with is that, you know, when you're alone or when you're a bachelor, it's quite easy because it's just you in that whole story. So, you know, when you have a girlfriend or wife or boyfriend or, you know, or your partner, you know, how do you adjust to that? Like, do you take, like, I'm just asking, like, maybe you have had that conversation yourself with your friends, with the other podcast or kind of guests as well. How do they manage that? I think it's actually a very great example and I'm the worst example to come up with straight away because uh, if you look at me, I've already already mentioned it, but if we go a couple of years back, I used to live on a 350 euro budget a month, 350, 400 euro in the Netherlands, which most people would just consider idiotic. That's living on that such of a narrow budget. It just doesn't work, but I did it. And as a consequence, I deprived myself of many joys of lives in terms of getting a gym membership, going for dinner, XYZ, going, partying, etc. And 
when I met my partner, she came from a different perspective. She's definitely frugal, but more from a, I spent on what I enjoy and it's okay to sometimes splurge a little bit. Um, over the years, we obviously we have had conversations where I sometimes was like, oh, we walked across a restaurant, so like, nah, let's not go for dinner. That's 25 euro. No, that's too much. Let's save it. Um, she's like, no, we are going to go in and have a freaking dinner. And having somebody who exposed me to that very much helped me develop a more um, less narrow-minded mindset and a more, okay, actually spend on things that matter. A very good example would actually be renting an apartment. If it was me, like six years back for the two of us, I would have rented a crappy student room in the cheapest neighborhood I could find to keep the cost low. Nah, we rented a nice apartment in the city center. We still got a very good rent deal on it, running at 700 pounds a month now, which anybody who knows what a city center is costing in terms of renting, it's ridiculously cheap. Um, and not even regarding, not even regarding the cost like that. Yeah. That keeps things simply simple for us. Um, we're still keeping them cheap, but we spent on purpose and we kind of, we found a good middle ground with the two of us. Definitely. You know, she is spending less because of me, but I'm spending more because of her and we're getting to a healthy balance. I think that's a conversation. Even if you don't have a partner, you've got to have with yourself, like, you know, what's a healthy spending uh, habit I'm going to stick to. And if you're, you know, if you are like me and you're listening and you're stuck in the student room and you're not spending the money, please go out and just have a drink. It's if I, if I was listening to this myself seven years ago, I would have called myself an idiot, but like, yeah, please go and enjoy life as well. That's really good that you touched upon that, that point, because, you know, we try to be too frugal at times. And I think for continuous periods of periods of time, and I think a lot of people uh, get kind of distracted with that lowering the expense thing. And, uh, and I think that because it's a long journey, you need to make sure that you are happy while you're living that journey, because obviously you will go to some other thing after seven to 10 years. So it's important that you enjoy that journey while you're in. And then I think eating out or having that one cup of coffee uh, wouldn't hurt your, your bank, but having that every day, five times a day, yes, definitely you shouldn't be doing that. But you know, once in a while, just indulgence is fine. And I think just make sure that have a balanced view on where you want to go. With this and I think there's, there's one thing Alvar, like before we wind up on those things like the one, one thing that I wanted to talk to you about is expense versus income and I think a lot of energy and, and that used to be my kind of uh, proportion of energy where I used to spend upon is lowering the expenses that is not the ultimate goal it's increasing the income as well so I think sometimes it's much easier and I think you spoke about that as well it's much easier to increase your income to look at that side hustle rather than saving that two bucks on a coffee and then feeling bad about it. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. And in the end, we'll always remember the negative experiences far more than the positive ones. And again, we got to nurture our own life and build a system that allows us to focus on the more positive one. So yeah, now I most definitely agree. And you know, for me in the end, I've got a very okay paying day job and I got a ton of side hustles which bring in extra income. Like, yeah, I could absolutely, could I double my income by moving to Switzerland or moving to London or something like that? Probably, yes, but I'm not doing it. Why? Well, one, because it's a choice me and my partner made. This is the place to be for us right now. But also secondly, it's most of those jobs, we've both probably been jobs like that in the past. Very high income, but a very high stress level. If you find a company that pays you 100K and you only have to work 30 hours a week, please, amazing. But most of companies demand a very high amount of hours and, now also pretty high level positions for those. So 
that's also why I feel okay. Let's let's keep spending reasonable but at the same time, and I think this will make for a nice pivot into the next topic as well. Keep your career and your life balance also, um, you know, as balanced as possible. Um, because if you, you know, if you earn an insane amount of money, but you work yourself out, what's the, burn yourself out, what's the point? Um, and that's also kind of like, if we think about what is the main way we're going to get to financial independence for most of us, it's going to be a job. And how can we make the job itself, the journey as enjoyable as possible. And at the same time, you know, earn as much as possible because that's in the end where it's about, right? Earning as much as possible while keeping it enjoyable. If you get that equation right, you're there. So the next uh, episode I would like to cover is um, how to get promoter at work, which is an episode I did uh, with the Chief Money Man, which is an episode I very thoroughly enjoyed. It's a more a bit more of like a strategic career episode, um, and he went in how he managed to work himself up from like a analyst kind of level to like C level positions as a CFO within a very big company, and um, he ran through very specific strategic steps of how to get there and what i enjoyed about him and please i would really recommend everybody go and listen to the interview because i cannot do his explanation justice by just a very quick uh summarization but um what he pretty much said in summary was okay you're gonna go in um you know you can be as good as you want to at your job but that's not where it's about you need to get friends with the right people you need to be in the right locations in the right moments and go to the networking events, be there, talk to these people, have a drink, and make sure you're there at the right time, but also staying strategic at the same time. If your skills don't match up with whatever job you've got right now, or you don't like it, move, go away, move to the next company, pivot, jump from job to job every two, three years as the best components actually drive your income, and keep running that. Get a career coach. Have a genuine chat with somebody about, okay, how can I get... Um, like an actual better job. Somebody like what I do myself is actually getting mentors, getting mentors within IT and asking them, okay, how can I learn more? Um, you know, you've done this. You've been there. Help me. Like, what am I missing? Does this make sense? Because I think in the end, um, you know, we everybody who listens to this, they will be in different parts of their career. But many of us also make switches to different careers. Right? There, you know, we right now, maybe I'm done with IT in five years and I want to go into teaching or I don't know, I want to be a social worker. Switching over to that career means I'm pretty much going to start from scratch. I'm going to take my experiences, but I still got to start over again. And mentor can so quickly fast forward that journey. And also please, in this explanation, I added a couple of thoughts of my own and a couple of thoughts of the chief money man. But yeah, go and listen to that interview because he gives a far far better explanation than I do. That's brilliant. Uh, thanks, but I think that that would be really key because we always think of financial independence where our jobs do not like, like even myself, like I never figured out that, you know, a job, my job was part of my financial independence, but I think that's a central pillar. That's the, everything that kind of surrounds that would be around your job or around your main kind of income earning, whatever it would get, that could be your business or that could be your job. And I think that would be really helpful. And I think you touched on two important elements and probably will wind up, with those two themes, communication and networking. And I think if you're in your job or if in your FI community as well, 
I think kind of talking to right people because that kind of expands your horizons as well, similar to how we are talking as well. Uh, and I think networking. So what is your view on those networks and the kind of, you know, I think there are a lot of meetups that people have. And, you know, we have one in Ireland as well that we spoke, spoke about. And that's how I was introduced to a lot of people, including Oliver as well. Uh, and I think that, like, what's your view on communication, how important it is, and secondly, the networking as well, please. I love that you pointed out to find networks because I can give a very practical example of me myself when I moved to the UK, wanting to get a new job a number of years ago. And at that point, I actually reached out to the Fi community. I went over to London for interviews and a number of people in the Fi community, they literally got me job interviews just in a matter of hours, days of me posting, guys, I'm coming over, um, let's meet up and have a coffee. People wrote me, hey, what are you coming to? Yeah, I'm having a couple of interviews with companies. I was like, oh, do you need a reference or do you need X, Y, Z? This community is so strong. If you make a post, I'm sure in the Irish Fire um, groups, if you would make a poster, I'm interested in a finance analyst's job in Dublin. Somebody could refer you. And why do they do that? Well, because you have something alike. You are part of the same community. And you know, maybe in a year or so when you are in that position, they'll call you up and be like, hey, now I've got this project and I need somebody for it. Do you know a resource? Do you know somebody? Can you refer me? That uh, perspective of being part of a community and being able to refer yourself is key to everything. Um, so networking, absolutely. When in uni, I used to be one of those people, like, did I really know what networking, the power of it, kind of ish? But I just talked to everybody I came across, went to all these, these events, and I didn't know what I was doing. I was just building a network of people I liked and I was interested in. And over the years, that allowed me to, like, if I need somebody now, for example, Say I need a web developer. Say I need a reference into a certain company. I can pretty much always call somebody up through LinkedIn. Look up, hey, I've got a mutual connection here. Call them up, have a have a chat, and actually go for that. One thing I also wanted to mention is something my co-host Araminta was doing um, in terms of career testing. She was looking for different career fields she was interested in. But she wasn't sure. So what did she do? She went on LinkedIn and looked pretty much for, okay, experts in that field to have a chat with. So she, in the end, had like seven, eight coffees with people, offered them lunch, better coffee, and it's like, hey, let's go and sit down. These people, in half an hour, either told them this career or position is something for me or not at all. And having that ability to just very quickly have a chat, obviously you cannot understand a full job in half an hour, but you can at least get a good understanding if this matches with you know, yourself. Because I'm sure if I tell you, you know, what my key strengths are and what I'm looking for, and you tell me what your job is, you can pretty much tell me, yeah, don't bother, or yeah, absolutely, go for it. And that straight away gives you a connection with the company uh, because that person you had a chat with and they know you're interested and you actually have an understanding of the industry, go for it. So I think those two uh, are very kind of like practical strategies you can follow. And when you mention communication, it is everything because you can be as good as you want to in your job. It's completely pointless if you can communicate because in the end, don't quote me on the exact stats, but for all people who get promoted, like how many will really uh, get it because of their skill and how many will get it of their um, actual communication skills? Combine the two and you'll be the master of the job. But I genuinely believe, you know, don't they always say that C-level students manage A-level students in a sense of, you know, you can be extremely smart, but that's, you know, you got to build both skill sets at the same time. Um, and go for it, either technical and communication. So yeah, now 
agree. Um, one thing, or oh, one thing I actually wanted to mention is actually presentation skills because that's one thing I want to work on myself going forward. Um, and there is this community. I know we've talked about this before. It's called Toastmasters. So one thing, uh, shout out to them. If you, uh, I think it's a very undervalued skill. If you want to improve your presentation skills, please go and check out your local Toastmasters. Go to a meetup. Obviously, right now they're online, but they'll help you for like a very, I think it's like 100 euro a year or so. You can actually join the community. And you have experts and industry experts telling you, okay, you know, you're presenting like this. Try this, try X, Y, Z. Getting direct feedback. And it's fun at the same time. I've only been to one meetup yet myself, but I'm very much willing to join more in the future. That's brilliant. I, I think it's it's really good that you touched upon that uh, the presentation skills, because I think that is something that we a lot of people we lack in, and uh, we, we think that that's only for people who are actually presenting. But you know, we are talking every day. We we might be talking to let's say we are having a conversation over here. We might be talking to a small group of handful of two people, five people, ten people, right? It doesn't have to be a crowd of you know hundred or thousand people. So I think presentation skills are really really important to achieve your kind of higher goals in your life, apart from communication and, and networking. So I think really thanks. I think you touched upon that that element. I think all these would help you not only in your day to day your on your fire journey, but also in your jobs that you're doing as well. So I think that that both these things. Go hand in hand so uh, absolutely i think that's fantastic that we touch upon those topics right and uh, i think we have covered so we'll move on or do you want any other episode oh yeah. good go for it uh, yeah we were running late as well uh, okay so thanks uh for for covering those topics i know it would have been really difficult for you to choose those but i think those are really important and I think especially for the fire journey, but in general kind of development for people as well and not to kind of commit those pitfalls or kind of, you know, avoid those mistakes. We touch upon our mistakes as well. So I think absolutely brilliant. Uh, so let's move on to the, the last section of this uh, podcast. So like, I think we would like to know what is the vision for your podcast? Like, where do you want to see it going? Is it hitting the targets that you have? Not financially, but in terms of the reach and what do you, where do you see that podcast going or pivoting from there on, or do you want to stay on the same course? Absolutely. So let's start out with where are we right now? So the podcast is doing relatively well. All, all episodes are getting like downloads anywhere from like 1,300 to 3,000 um, for the most popular episodes. And they very have an extremely wide range of topics going from case studies with just people like, okay, how do I budget? How does this work? To very advanced finance, fine topics where we go really into the nitty gritty. I love that interview style um, and I want to keep it going. Recently, we've also started with just producing a lot more for our own content because we're very much interested in FI and we got certain fields we know a lot about. So we got more of a mix between interviews and um, content produced between the hosts as well. So we very much want to keep that going. A weekly episode, um, but one thing I'm very, very keen to keep doing is get the community aspect more and more into the podcast movements um, because that's something I'm interested in. Like we managed to get a Facebook group together of like almost a thousand people now, which is completely amazing. Um, but we really want to grow that even further, getting activities, events in there when we're allowed to do it again, um, organizing uh, Zoom things, getting masterminds going. So on the long run, the goal is really increase the quality of the content, diversify more, get other countries to where the uh, 
but uh, Firefire is spreading more and more, getting them involved as well, and getting the community aspect as strong as possible. Um, also, the meetup component, I think, is one thing that's very important. Matthias and me have been trying to get meetups organized all across Europe, but people either reach out through us. Uh, Matthias did one recently in Austria and Berlin even, in Vienna and Austria, and that worked just so well. I organized myself one here locally, get like 20 people or so joining every single time, which is, yeah, the thing I enjoy most, actually talking to the people, talking to people like yourself, um, doing the interviews, because I think that's where it's about getting in touch with like-minded people to learn from each other and get inspired. And it's also at the same time, just an extremely good way to make friends. Um, and yeah, if we kind of take that a step further, where do we want to go going forward? So already covered the community aspect. Um, and I really think for us, we want to increase the reach. So get the message out there, um, buddy up more with, for example, larger organizations interview, um, you know, the big guys and getting an insight into how their companies work. Uh, a couple of months ago, I did an interview with a service called Money Dashboard with their CEO. I had never imagined I would actually be able to get into, uh, I mean, they're a startup, but I re you know, they've got a couple hundred thousand users. Being able to interview a CEO like that and get inside the companies, and we're all using the daily, like the Jira or Trading212 or Vanguard or whatever, speaking to those people. So increasing the quality, getting the community aspect going, and just keep having fun. That's pretty much the goal. That's brilliant. And I think that, yeah, I think that the community aspect is something that, that will be uh, great going forward as well. Uh, and I think that that's really good that you have a Facebook group. And uh, what about Instagram and like other social media? Like, are you active up there as well? Or Yeah, absolutely. So pretty much everybody, if you go into Instagram and you search for Financial Independence Europe podcast, we're the first one to pop up. Same goes for Twitter. Um, and same goes for the website, financial-independence.eu. You can check us out over there and there'll be a contact form you can use to contact us if needed or just shoot a tweet. A Facebook message will reply back. That's great. Okay, so let's wind up. Uh, so thanks, Oliver, uh, for for all the insights and all the learnings that, that you have shared. Uh, and I think this was like absolutely a brilliant episode. And I think we were kind of thinking of keeping it to 30 to 45 minutes, but I think we overran because of the interruption as well as I think the content is so important. And I think it's it's close to our hearts as well. And that's why all the conversations that we had came more from our heart rather than anything that was scripted uh, in a sense. So I think thanks, thanks for, for being on this episode and sharing your kind of uh, insights from the top episodes that you had. Thank you so much, Nipan. Enjoyed it and hope to see you next time on our own podcast as well. <laughs> So friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, like always, I immensely enjoyed recording that session in our studio. Uh, for full details and other things that we were discussing, the details are available in the show notes. So do check them out uh, for all the links. And uh, yeah, like always, make sure that you subscribe if you haven't subscribed already to our uh, channel, wherever you're listening to on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or whichever channel you're listening to. And make sure you follow us on social media platforms as well by supporting us by liking our content over there as well. So until next time, uh, make sure you are safe uh, and take care and don't give up on those dreams. Thank you.